What's up everyone and welcome to episode 109 of the Justin Insight podcast, a show where I, Tim Birkbeck, talk to people involved in the world of alternative music and find out what makes them tick. I uh, hope everyone's well, had a wonderful week. Uh, just want to firstly say a massive thank you uh, for the response of last week's episode with Ryan Slauson from Closer. Uh, got some really positive feedback and it's one that everyone seemed to to listen to it, seemed to love, which is the reason I do this. Um and yeah, it's kind of got me even more pumped to see closer and next week, just in terms of like buzz surrounding them off the back of people liking this episode. So yeah, really looking forward to to seeing closer in less than a week, a couple of days actually. But yeah, anyway, thank you again for everyone checking out the show as always. Um, if you're a first time listener, welcome. If you're a long term listener, welcome back. Um, just a quick one of how my week last week went. Pretty quiet, if I'm totally honest. Uh, apart from, I did go see Mono in uh, Brighton on Saturday, which was really cool. I forget how much of a juggernaut of a live band they are. Um, they're a band that I've kind of like. I've always liked Mono, but they're one of the bands where I kind of like with post rock. I kind of drift in and out of like the bands that I really like. Like Explosions are kind of like the go-to. Uh, along with this will destroy you and then all the rest are kind of kind of ebbs and flows but a mono or one of those but every time i see them live i forget how great a band they are so it was really cool to see them um if you want to kind of read how the the gig was in general did a review over at justininsight.com so uh go read that if you so wish um yeah on kind of news worthy things uh cult of luna have released a new track the track is called uh, the silent man it's going to be coming off a forthcoming record in uh, later on this year which after hearing this song i'm really looking forward to like again kind of with with mono cult of luna are a band that i have a massive soft spot for like i remember seeing them years and years ago when they were still sort of very well they're still heavy as fuck now but they're kind of like a, a fine wine and they just seems to get better with age in the kind of type of music that they play and yeah off the back of this this track i'm really looking forward to to hearing a new full length so keep an eye peeled for that when that comes out um that's enough of me kind of jabbering on let's get to our guest uh and this week i'm joined by guitarist and one of the founding members of entombed alex helid uh during it we discuss uh sort of growing up in the the Swedish metal scene what it was like sort of discovering metal in Sweden um how the band were kind of when sort of first formed just kind of figuring out things and sort of the direction that Intuned wanted to go um and obviously recently the band played their second full-length record uh, Clandestine in full uh a special live show which was recorded which will soon be released on vinyl so we discuss that experience and what it was like playing that record in full so yeah um as always please sit back enjoy the chat i have with alex and i'll see you on the other side uh joining me this week on the justin insight podcast is entombed guitarist alex helid how, how did i do perfect perfect uh thank you very much for for joining me um how is everything in your world where are you at the moment um, right down in the centre of Stockholm at the moment. Okay. Um, uh, 
old town. And right. It's uh, been uh, a day of doing a bit of press, actually. So it's, oh, okay. it's cool. I mean, it's uh, it's been a while since we put out you know a proper release of anything. So you've done the occasional interview, but today has been more of a you know, interview day. So I started off by doing some Swedish stuff, and then uh, I was doing some stuff with Bombay, India. Oh wow! That, and then you know. Spain and you know, the U.S. After this, I think so it's it's cool. You, so, you meet people all all around the world. I was going to say going all all around the world. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's inspiring also to see that you know different countries, but passion is all over the place. So yeah. It's cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, as I mentioned before I, I hit the record button, the show is called Just an Insight. I like to take my guests kind of back to their, their origins, so to say. So what was your first exposure of kind of alternative music? What kind of got you into to that sort of world? Uh, first of all, I guess we didn't know that there was such a thing as alternative music yeah. at all. Because, of course, when we... If you're going to go back to when we discovered music, it was, you know, you knew the kind of music your parents were listening to. Yeah, of course. And, and then there was, all of a sudden, my first sort of experience, I guess, probably was seeing Alice Cooper on The Muppet Show. So oh, okay. that's my, my journey into alternative music. It <laughs> starts with that. And I remember being, uh, you know, really transfixed by it, uh, not knowing anything about the music or anything, but straight away I started, you know, painting my face like Alice Cooper and okay. you know, following, following my mother around, <laughs> you know, like that, you know, so it's, and then probably five minutes later you hear some other kid in the neighborhood showed, you know, like a Kiss album or something like that, yeah, uh, yeah. Tony Destroyer or something like that, and then like, five minutes after that you go out and and try and find your own copies of it which I did at a flea market so I bought them for like no money at all and yeah. I still have those ones and it's I still to this day when I'm you work on artwork or something I usually take out those albums because they're still inspiring mm. to, to see like the destroyer and uh, rock and roll over art the artwork you know it's and to me it's been especially in the early days because of course there was no internet or no records either because yeah. you didn't have a lot of money to go out and buy even the albums that you didn't even know existed yet so yeah. you, um, you kind of experience it more through artwork that you see mm. like my journey started to, you, uh, you know, I got into Stockholm around this area with my mother and she would do some shopping maybe and she would I wanted to go and hang out in these little stores uh, that sold you know like back patches and studded <laughs> yeah, belts yeah. and stuff because they played music also so I would hang out there listen to the music and look at these patches and that was my little glorified world <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I, I always loved kind of got lost in the artwork of things and uh, so that's kind of how I 
started out and and, and it's been my a place I you know you, you, the nostalgic place where you still go back to when you like yeah this is yeah what I got into it for and, and my first show was in like 1983 yeah the piece of peace of mind tour because um, we were kind of in an I mean I'm born 73 so we kind of a little bit in between I, I missed obviously the kiss shows yeah they, they were sort of over by then they were in, in another era so but maiden was still of course happening and, and so seeing that show was something that also stayed with us forever yeah, yeah. You know, and and I, and I still also same thing go back to those artworks and those albums and get inspired to to do and you kind of have the rules you can go back and see like what did they do <laughs> yeah yeah and, and, and this is what it should be you know you see like this album that we're releasing now for example I when I when I did artwork I, I, I have these vinyl copies of you know Alive 2 and, and Peace of Mind and I look at little nerdy things that I want to copy just for my own sake yeah make sure that it's the way they used it they did they wrote wrote it this way and they put the logo here and it's so you kind of want to you model it on the you know what we grew up with because they, they kind of set the the rules wanna, <laughs> yeah yeah okay. pay, pay your tribute to them it's an homage in a yeah way, you know and you mentioned obviously like going to the the stores and like kind of looking at the back patches and things like that. So, were there any particular bands that that kind of stood out at that time that you were drawn to? Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, Kiss, ACDC, Black Sabbath, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Motorhead. Uh, that you, know, you instantly knew that this is correct. Yeah, and yeah. Then, even though you hadn't heard bands like Asia and Styx, but you saw the the on the on the backs of the magazines that these teeny magazines they had all always had albums, and you kind of saw that, yeah, the artwork is kind of uh, okay, but there's something strange here. You know, you were a little suspicious. You never ended up buying a Styx album or an Asia album for some reason. Yeah, you knew that, you know, ACDC, you know. Judas Priest and Iron Maiden and that, that's this is the, the good stuff you know <laughs> yeah um, so that's kind of what I what I remember and uh, bands like it's weird like bands like Motley Crue yeah never got into that at the time okay some, some other people did but it was for me it was like they seemed to be doing what Kiss was doing and I liked Kiss so it's like yeah, yeah. I, but then 20 years later I, I kind of enjoy uh, you know the, the first album and I, <laughs> yeah. you know because it's it's very raw and and, and uh, yeah it's it's uh, definitely got yeah. cool things but and, and I still enjoy because again with the image of things going back looking at those old photographs of uh, that they put out 
around that era and there you know they did some photographs where they had swords and and and, and blood and things and it's like now i wouldn't mind having a painting of that yeah you know? yeah because it it's uh yeah it's uh makes you feel good yeah and then in terms of you picking up a guitar is it always was guitar always the the instrument you were drawn to or did you kind of dabble with anything else and what what was it that drew you to the guitar we used to have you know around the age of probably seven or so went to like you know before you go to school yeah and after school there's this in sweden there's this place where kids go before the parents come home i don't know what what it's called in in the in the uk yeah when you know first you're at kindergarten and yeah after that this like you go to this place and i used to go to one of those places and met other kids and they uh so we some of them actually were a little older maybe you know a year or two older and and he could actually play instruments right okay but we used to put on these kids shows okay yeah and he was you know paul stanley and i i was instantly drawn to gene simmons for some reason so you would think that i would want to play bass but when it came to instruments it was for some reason the guitar that made sense Mm. Uh, i don't really know why but and then you at like third grade so this is about nine years old i remember i started taking a few sort of these sort of classic guitar lessons where you go and and um, sort of make life miserable for some poor (laughs) guitar teacher by never doing the things they want you to do and and i had this really unplayable uh steel string guitar that kind of really hurt the fingers so it was to me back then it was totally unplayable uh, but you kept at it and uh, don't know if i got any better but it would of course have been easier to get like a nylon string (laughs) guitar because it was more of a country and western guitar but we had no idea when we picked it up it was you know it was uh, and it was really cheap so it was probably not too easy to play anyway but i remember it was really difficult to get it into mm. and so my experience back then was okay you music you go to a guy and he gives you a paper and that's where the music is and then you learn these dots and you try and follow along so it wasn't until maybe it felt like a long time, but it was maybe, you know, you had a, a year of that, and then I met up with, the next year, I met some, some other people that joined my class, in like the, our, our school, yeah. and, and, and I, you know, some new people moved in, and through one of the guys that ended up, we ended up starting Nihilist with, we were like, yeah, we, you know, just kids growing up, and, and wanting to start a band but he was the reason that I met Nikke mm. so and, and that was a big turning point because we he was a, a year older than us and you could he was a uh, playing drums but he also had this other view that you could actually listen to music and then just try and play it without the paper in front of you right okay <laughs> and and it's it's kind of 
think that that was that you needed somebody to actually show you that that could be <laughs> yeah. done because that was I remember, still remember that as being a revolution that what because meeting him and then he was a drummer and he was already a good drummer from what I remember but and I was this guy taking guitar lessons but he was he could all, he already had a, 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 an amp and an electric guitar at home and he could actually play these uh, hard rock songs that mm. I had no idea you could actually you know listen to stuff and pick it out yourself without yeah. having somebody teaching you on a paper so <laughs> so I guess he kind of destroyed my <laughs> class, classical <laughs> career because after that I didn't look at a paper again yeah and swiftly forgot how to read the music you know <laughs> but uh, so that was a something that definitely definitely uh, pushed me in in that direction like to getting to know him and just realizing that you could actually listen to stuff and play it without uh, having somebody write it down mm. for us but um, so that was yeah uh, that summer made me want to start a band or actually because before we, we of course went to shows not that many because we were really young yeah. but just taking that step to actually realizing that you could actually start a band yeah yeah of course that, that, that was uh, what we got out of that summer mm. you know, which was really cool and in terms of kind of before we get to you but obviously playing music yourself obviously from an outsider looking in there always seems to be something with Sweden and sort of heavy metal, metal music, black metal or something like that. So for you growing up, like, was that something that was always there, that was always available? Or was it something that you had to kind of dig and discover? No, it definitely wasn't here. And for us, we totally felt that we were taking, you know, our music from the UK. Right, yeah. And, And then a little later from, like, tape trading and stuff some of it came from the US also but you know just uh, we definitely probably had no uh, we would never call it being original what we did I mean, yeah. we, first time I met Nick for example he he had I think he had a a poster of like a Motley Crue poster of Theater of Pain, and next to it was this Venom poster yeah. uh, of like uh, Welcome to Hell or Seven, like one of these Seven Churches or something. They did a tour with I think with Metallica, uh, and I think it was so he was he was already like exploring this new like going from. You know, the Motley Crues of this world to Venom and yeah, yeah. never never really uh, you know th- that took us in in, in, a, in a new direction but and, but then that was already happening in in, you know, in the UK <laughs> yeah so, yeah you know that whole 
first time I went to his place, I remember he, as I said, he showed that he could like play. He had a Raven album that he liked, and he played that. And the next thing was also like this, the, the Welcome to Hell, yeah, you know, uh, Venom, and uh, just, you know, still that that's kind of the mix that we took. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like the hard, the hard rock, and the you know. Yeah, and then you have you know the Black Sabbath and the Iron Maidens and you know it's uh, it's uh, I guess we I don't know it's I don't know what Sweden brought to it, but, <laughs> yeah. but but for us you know you were kind of ripping off things that we that we liked yeah but yeah we probably couldn't play it the way it was supposed to be so I guess that's what <laughs> originality uh, and I, I love the way something else that we uh, years later but you know just we listen to uh, like before type of negative became type of negative with you know like carnivore and stuff like that and I, you know, I like their sense of humor but on one of the albums I think you put like never uh, never uh, mistake lack of talent for genius or something like yeah. that and it's you know that's kind of how at least I can't speak for the others but that's kind of how I felt I like the way I like the noise that comes out of the guitar when you touch it but I wouldn't say that I wouldn't call myself a guitar player because <laughs> yeah. I this like Ufa is great at playing guitar but I you know I kind of like the way it sounds yeah when, yeah when, when I do it wrong, because <laughs> I can't play the same thing twice. <laughs> <laughs> and then, in terms of you kind of playing, obviously you're, you're most most known for obviously Entombed and sort of early days Nihilist. But was there kind of any bands that you were playing around with, sort of like in your in your younger days, that kind of maybe shaped what you would then go on to do to that which that would become Entombed? You mean as as other bands that we were involved with was well, sort of like your your first bands so to say what, what were they kind of kind of were they that's along the, that's the strange thing with me is that the way i see it i only ever started one band right okay that's, that's kind of weird almost in a way especially when you compare it to nicky because he was always in a in a few bands it seems yeah. before and but i it's like i never really got around to doing that and then <laughs> yeah. started you know I got to get more and more involved with Tentube stuff and and also I ended up being the one down the line talking to management and doing those kind of things which also leaves less time to go around and do other yeah, things of course. which uh, some of the other guys also you know had mm. when we had maybe had some in between time they, they, I, I probably spent that talking to management and, and dealing with other things and they maybe went and did a side project or something so um, but uh, so it's taken a while but actually now I'm uh, it, it, I'm, I'm finally going to do another thing on the side as well oh, okay cool <laughs> which is because of course now we don't do 
what we did back then with Entomb. We don't go out and play all the time. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so, so it's uh, you definitely have more time. Yeah. Uh, to uh, to actually spend on something else as well. So, but it's uh, yeah, it's, that's going to be that's a, a different story. But it's gonna be, uh, <laughs> yeah. interesting to finally uh, get around to doing something yeah. outside of. Uh, this one band that strangely enough I've been spending a lot of time with <laughs> yeah. in this life and obviously in, in that kind of form obviously in teams that as you mentioned have been, been around it sort of a long time and like they've kind of you've put your stamp on metal you've influenced other bands and things like that but for you personally was there kind of like a point during the band's career when you kind of felt a switch of like from this just being a band that you're playing with in friends that that oh we've now got a fan base there's people that actually care about what we're we're doing and what we're putting out there sort of thing yeah i remember always being surprised to this day when people enjoy what i've been a part of yeah uh, and and i definitely remember because we didn't the music we did when we started there was no scene and the people that were doing sort of quote-unquote real music at the time always pointed out to us that what we were doing was not music so <laughs> uh, <laughs> so our ambition was I mean you looked up to people that sort of that put out a demo tape that was like our it was of course a short time span but it was like in that time span there was a lot of things happening the people that we kind of looked up to not a lot of people put out albums maybe I mean Morbid Angel and Napalm Death would have been our superstars at the time yeah. you know um, so just putting out a demo tape was like the first goal but as I said Nicky was a year older so maybe he was a bit further in his plans what he wanted to do but because mm. yeah, I remember him talking about doing things and I was just figuring out what, you know, as I said, like, he was a bit ahead because I, I didn't I hadn't figured out that you could actually play music without a paper and so he was, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, when we met, he was already talking about like, I, I would want to go into town and just set up my amp and we could play something, you know. And yeah, like, yeah. Uh, are you crazy? Are, you, are we going <laughs> to like go sort of it would have been interesting to do because it would have been interesting but he, he actually kind of wanted to go what do you do you call it busking busking yeah out? yeah yeah but with can you imagine these kids doing what we were doing <laughs> this noise going <laughs> yeah. out like putting our amps up in the middle of town playing you know that's kind of what he wanted to do we never ended up doing it but I still think about it as it would be cool to do as a as a, as a music video yeah yeah <laughs> just In terms of kind of like you mentioned when you guys started out that you were kind of paying homage to the the bands that you were listening to but 
obviously fast forward now in sort of 2019 there are loads of sort of younger bands that are starting out and you can clearly hear sort of entombed sort of references and like riffs that have been put into their songs and they've taken sort of influence from your band so is it kind of a strange situation to to kind of be in that position where you you're obviously still making music and still playing music but there's these younger kids that are now very much sort of uh an entombed junior so so to say Yeah, and it's uh, and feel honored by it. You know, it's it's always great uh, to uh, yeah. I remember like especially later years, but and probably you know like ten years ago already. But when you started seeing this, a new generation of kids starting to sort of print up their own nihilist shirts, mm. and you kind of realize that oh, man, this is maybe this wasn't just like a, a one thing that nobody else would understand like the next generation you kind of started to understand that people actually there is a new just when you think somebody's something is dead there's a new generation that picks up on it and it was kind of cool to do this live album actually uh, because the uh, Nick's brother and the singer Robert they are that, to us at least, that next generation that kind of grew up with this and and enjoy it for for their own, yeah, uh, and and are as serious about it as we ever were, which is it's cool to see because we would never think in a million years that anybody else would understand what we were the noise that we were making and that it would be important in any way know down the line to somebody else mm. but uh, not, and again this maiden reference i remember going to one of the shows uh, must have been was this place bailey era and they were playing in stockholm yeah in that same venue that i saw them in in 83 yeah and they were, they were playing with halloween oh yeah yeah and, and and because the year before they had been playing at a much smaller place but now they were sort of all of a sudden they were back playing this, this stadium again and and there was a totally new crowd you know like a new generation of kids wearing you know the classic uh, merch that yeah I, I get happy to see every day yeah. <laughs> you know every every time you see somebody with a you know a number of the beast's shirt or a killer's shirt or whatever it's like it's a good day so uh, kind of realized that okay it's it's all repeating itself again with, mm. a new, with new blood you know and it's, uh, it's that's awesome and then we started to see it with people actually a few years later then people start to sort of relive the demo era which now seems to be kind of healthy again people are, are doing cassette tapes again even to you know to, to relive it yeah. which is uh, is uh, awesome to see mm. <laughs> you, you never thought you'd like one of the things you thought would never come back is cassette tapes <laughs> yeah I totally agree so uh, I'm, I'm, 
VHS <laughs> tapes will come back to. Maybe, maybe. Um, and in terms of kind of, you mentioned obviously at the moment kind of promoting the the live album, but kind of from sort of nihilist slash in tombs sort of inception, like from when Left Hand Path came out right up until now, you you have been quite a consistent band in terms of putting out material. So was that kind of part of the the band ethos? Was just that we want to be continually active, continually putting out stuff, or was it just kind of the way that you guys got together and wrote that there was this constant flow of material coming yeah I, mean, I think the only thing that slowed us down was one when we started doing more tours because yeah. that kind of slows you down uh, in, the, in putting stuff out but also when we started getting into the, you know the business side of things and uh, then when you start to sort of wanting to leave a label and things started to drag out and you know it's I remember those times as being the first period was when we left Eric and in 1994 or 5 5 probably Mm. we had a really boring year (laughs) we had you know we just wanted to record an album but at that time, things just didn't work out between us and the label, and it wasn't really. I mean, managers get involved, and it's a classic, you know, story. Yeah. And, uh, now, I mean, now we get along with them well, you know, and it's no problems. Um, but back then, and we were kids also, so we were just, and we were out doing our thing, and you get word back. You know, this whole just got to a bad place but it ended up wasting a lot of time Mm. so that that's kind of uh, one thing that slows that kind of broke that uh, creative flow was dealing with or the lack of dealing with the business side of things in a in a more sort of grown-up way yeah you know the, the the sensible thing to do would have been probably something else but we were stubborn kids so we wanted to do it in another way and it ended up costing a lot of time because mm. otherwise uh, the fourth album would definitely have come out probably in 95 instead of 97 yeah and, and back then that was a lot of time yeah yeah now, of course it's nothing you know to that uh, you know it takes 12 years <laughs> or something for, <laughs> yeah. between an album but back then, it's like in two years we had put out all the demos and two albums. So you're impatient and you want to like keep the momentum. And not that we even knew what that meant, but we, you definitely know once you lost, once you lose momentum, then yeah. you definitely know that okay, we were on on a, a creative role, and now things got slowed down, and that was not good, you know. The, so the to ride album was probably uh, a mix of two or three albums instead of being uh, like a, a natural progression would have been probably at least one or two albums before to ride came out and yeah. now it ended up being a mix of you know like two frustrating years for, uh, for I mean Wolverine came 
three, so four years. That's like we used to joke probably that Metallica took a long time between albums, but they were you know, they at least had an excuse. They were doing something uh, meaningful. They were probably touring a lot. And yeah, it took time to do things, but uh, so that was yeah, four years was an, an eternity. <laughs> yeah. And um, in terms of you kind of obviously like mentioned the, the kind of business side of things and obviously it's well documented that that was kind of part of the reason why you sort of left the band originally but obviously now back doing things again. So in terms of kind of that period where you were away from the band, was it just a case that you wanted to get back into doing it? What was it kind of and was it sort of like a breath of fresh air when you did step back and start doing Entombed again? The thing is, uh, it's, of course, one thing when other people look at it from the outside, it looks like uh, you left or something. Yeah. But in, in my reality, I never, I know like LG and them told stories, but that's history from their point of view. Yeah, of course. And, and, our reality is something totally different because I, you know, I, I didn't go out and be vocal about it, but I never, never left anything. Uh, you know, we, as as I see it, I didn't because uh, I got asked the question earlier today, and then it was kind of like, so you weren't part of what they were doing with the tomb AD, and I was like, no, why would I be? That to me, that's a new band. Yeah. And, uh, and we kind of uh, told them that they should pick a new name for it as well and do whatever they want, you know, Godspeed. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but uh, you know, they wanted to uh, do it under the Entomb name, obviously. Uh, and uh, so basically, been doing the same thing. Yeah. It's just that, uh, again, having to deal with legal stuff uh, sort of distracts from being right okay put, putting out material but uh, it's not for lack of doing uh, stuff with the band I mean I, we had a plan before the whole shit went down we had a plan what we were going to do and we were pl- planning to do a new album then they ended up what they were doing and, uh, and they were working with a managed manager that I sort of uh, brought into the picture mm. but then I realized that I did not want to have anything to do with that person because he was strange to say the least <laughs> but, they, but they still work with him and you know, he seems to be doing fine for them yeah. but uh, it ended up costing us or me um, a lot of time dealing with the sandbox bullshit thing uh, yeah
of course, we haven't been out doing shows like we did for a long time back then. But it was it was also uh, kind of becoming something that we wanted to break that routine anyway to mm. just go and do. You know, you're playing to the same people, but uh, and nothing bad with that. But it was kind of like you're not. 15 or 20 anymore so it's kind of you can't really be out doing these shows like you know because we never used to say no to anything so yeah of course you know you played and played and played and you know sometimes we played I mean, we, we always uh, for a long time uh, we're sort of based business wise uh, out of the UK with like management from there and, and uh, a record company in, in London so you end up playing London five times and then what we wanted to do in 2011-12 was actually okay let's try and plan things a bit more before we just do another album and go out and do the exact same thing again uh, and that's kind of what I uh, told this manager that like we don't want you to come in and just book more shows the same thing that we've been doing ourselves for the last 25 years we yeah managed to do that but that's kind of obviously that they ended up doing now you know they go out and do you know and that I guess that's you know, that's fine that's what LG wants to do that's yeah cool. yeah you know it's uh, uh Just uh, hope that they are happy. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's cool. Well, then, obviously, in terms of where we are now, obviously coming up to to the release of the um, clandestine live live recording, and obviously I understand that you kind of did it around sort of the the twenty fifth anniversary. But was there a specific reason that you wanted to release it as a live album? Because I think there's one thing to perform the album in its entirety as a celebration but to record it is kind of a different thing so was there a reason why you wanted to to put it onto a re- recorded format that's exactly what uh, the other guys thought as well <laughs> do you really want to go through this trouble like Nikki was saying like can't we just enjoy playing do you have to like add more to this and it's like I, I felt that it would be uh, sort of a waste not to document it because I'm yeah. like kind of uh, I like documenting things and I like when other people document things because then most people that like in tune for example have probably never seen us live uh, if they live in South America or something yeah. like that so uh, and that's today you can sort of see in social media that that's a place where a lot of people like what we do yeah. even though they've never seen us live so it's, it's kind of cool to be able to show people everywhere Otherwise, if we would have just done this, there would have been a very, very small amount of people that actually ended up witnessing it because mm. um, we only did it this one time. Yeah, we, we did a warm-up show also on a, on a cruise ship, but it was a totally different. Setting, <laughs> yeah. So, like, uh, but it, there's so much work going into the if people because it's kind of 
you gotta be crazy to put these things together almost I feel like it's, it's, it's such a the fact that it ended up being the 25th anniversary is a total fluke and, and, oh, okay. even more, and even more that it ended up being on the exact same date as when the original album was released oh wow also okay totally uh, we could never have planned that this, <laughs> yeah. this, when when we started talking about uh, when when the ideas came up about doing something with an orchestra and stuff that that was kind of even going so far back that it could have been like a 15th anniversary yeah you know of the album so this massive amount of uh things being sort of put forward to us by people like there was a guy in, in, the, in the Hamburg Philharmonic Orchestra that was a, a fan and yeah. out of the blue sent us some orchestrations that he had made out of uh, uh, Chief Rebel Angels so that must have been around that era uh, when is that that's like 2001 yeah probably. yeah and then around the same time a few years later maybe they somebody I think this was probably around 2005 or three, two, no, around that time. And somebody sent a letter saying that, have you ever thought about clandestine being very sort of, it would lend itself to being played by an orchestra. And that's something, of course, that we would never imagine ourselves. Uh, because how could we have access to an orchestra? But just a seed was planted. And yeah, I started yeah. to like think like, that would be interesting because there's a lot of things going on in that album that people never heard of. So I actually went as far as thinking about contacting a, like a concert hall here in Sweden, in Stockholm, just to, to get at least like ask, like, how would you go about talking to somebody about doing this? But then, and then of course, never took it even there, but oh, it never kept stop thinking about it and then like maybe around 2010 somebody contacted us again out of the blue asking if we wanted to do exactly that so yeah. that's like I didn't have to think twice uh, about it I was like yes and I know exactly what we're going to do because I've been thinking about it for the last five years and uh, all of a sudden all the pieces that we didn't have were served to us somebody Thomas von Wackenfeld, who orchestrated the album, he is a few years younger than us. So he actually, Clandestine was like the first album he bought oh, wow. in, a, in a metal genre. And he said he was totally blown away about it, and but scared at the same time. So, <laughs> yeah. so he grew up listening to it, and who better? You know, then he, he around the time when we put out, when we got bored with, with death metal uh, he and and made like wolverine blues and uh, we kind of started to piss him him off because he was a few <laughs> years uh, younger so he was getting into it and we were getting out of it so we kind of he thought that we were ruining stuff by putting out you know you know wolverine blues and then when we put out uh to ride he still had hopes, but he, you know, and he lives in northern Sweden, so he traveled, you know, for probably for an hour just to get to the store and then get home another yeah. hour, and then uh, or two, and and then put the album in, and he was so pissed off that he took it out and 
broke it into pieces. <laughs> <laughs> and so us doing that got him into classical music because he was so pissed off with that you know, we had destroyed the death metal that, yeah. that he loved by doing this blues pop that he you know, called it. So he got into folk music and went into studying to be like a, now he's a music prof- professor. Oh, wow. And then fast forward a couple of 10 years or so, we meet again and he or- helps us orchestrate the album, you know. Yeah. Which, uh, so, uh, so in a way then he was also pissed off with the state of metal and got into folk music and uh, classical music and, and and today he could help us make uh, something out of clandestine that yeah. uh, that we found very very interesting because we were always into like sort of you know like the film and music is the scores of uh, yeah like cool. Hellraiser Christopher Young and stuff so it's it was when I heard what came out of his arrangement I was like now I want to see the movie you know? <laughs> yeah yeah so you so it, it feeds you know you get new inspiration and uh, so that that whole thing is a quite long unplanned process that in there was no plan of doing yeah playing of us playing the album from start to finish at that point that came you know because of other events around this whole thing with the orchestra kind of made me start to think about bringing because we hadn't played with Nicky and Ufa for a long time yeah but I since we were picking clandestine apart I knew that there was nobody else in the world that I if we're gonna do it right I needed to get those guys involved yeah and possibly that maybe got to make the other people that were in Entombed at the time nervous because maybe they thought that okay now we're being what's he doing he's bringing these guys back but yeah, at the time yeah. there was nothing like that and it was Nicky had no idea uh, or no plan at all to like to rejoin or you know it, and and in in a way for me it's always been if you if you were ever in the band I never really accepted people leave so he was always <laughs> yeah. he was always there for me anyway uh, and Ufa as well but when we were going to do Clandestine it was obvious that to do this properly I mean, we had been playing a few you know, clandestine songs but I never really uh, proud of the way we did it to do it properly I felt that we definitely needed those two guys and so through the orchestra thing in the end it led to us doing the full album yeah. and it happened to be on the 25th anniversary but as, as I said if we if we would have done it quicker it could have been on the 15th or the 20th anniversary yeah it yeah just took, it just took 10 years you know? <laughs> yeah and um, then, so and then in terms of kind of playing it because obviously there are probably songs on that record that you haven't played for years so some we had never played ex- exactly so so what was that kind of experience like it's like you go back to something that you did do in another life almost you know that's uh, so you're, re- you're relearning it and you kind of uh, also having played it for a long time back in the nine, like early 90s yeah you kind of corrupt them also because you never go back and listen to them <laughs> yeah 
so you kind of this was the first time that we actually sat down and figured out and especially the songs that we had never played live you kind of they're only they exist in a sort of a dream world where you don't really uh, unless you go and actually do what we did and actually rehearse them for properly for five days you kind of just end up doing a sort of a Yeah. Having gone through the process with, with Thomas and showing him what actually went goes on everywhere in all the parts, then we actually knew it about as well as we did when it was recorded. So that's oh, that's uh, cool. That's uh, interesting. Yeah. Know? And um, and of course. Okay. <laughs> and, and that's because he didn't, of course, his personal, when it comes to clandestine, it's because he, he didn't, he wasn't comfortable singing, so he, he, he kind of, he wanted somebody else, he had somebody else in mind, Yeah. but, uh, you know, being in Sweden, we could never get to that singer, uh, so in the end, uh, you know, he, he ended up singing on it, and, uh, and then I think he also didn't like the bass drum sound. Right, but it's you know these little personal things that nobody else but him probably thinks about. But it's to me, we had started doing this uh, like the reissues and wanting to sort of tell the story uh, of of things. So I I felt like cool. I mean, if he's into it, then and now we he knows the songs. You know, as well as he did back then, uh, you know, it, we could actually, in a sort of, a, uh, under a, a, an excuse that we're going to show people what we're doing, we could actually uh, re-record it, and, he, you know, he could uh, fix that drum sound. If he <laughs> yeah. to, but, but it would give us, a, a, since we don't control those albums, we could actually then release them in our little storybook way where we actually tell the story so we're that uh, we never really got around to doing it but we still uh, that's one of the things that we uh, are still thinking about yeah Uh, because we when we got together we actually started recording uh, for that reason we started just instead of just meeting up and having a Cup of coffee somewhere. We we booked some studio time and went in and, and started recording a few songs. And uh, you know, with the you know, the idea was to maybe release some, like make it like a seven-inch club or something. Yeah. You put one song off one of the albums, and then you put a cover song that we felt in some way 
inspired the song on the album. So we ended up recording a few songs from the first album and some cover songs to go with them. And uh, so we'll see if we end up putting something out down the line from that. But we recorded, for example, the first thing we did was we recorded like the first song we ever, or one of the first songs uh, that ended up on the first album was supposed to rock. And yeah. then uh, we did uh, a song by Death uh, from Scream Bloody Gore called the Evil Dead that we used to play back then. And okay. they both sort of reference this Evil Dead movie that we liked back then. Yeah. So there's a connection there and, and uh, they kind of, you know, uh, growing up with this whole uh, maiden era artwork thing, I always in enjoyed the, the these 12 inch singles that they put out yeah so that's kind of my like, oh I how cool would it be to just okay you put some music out and you the excuse is that you're gonna tell the story but I want to get to the scene <laughs> like, <make some laughs> yeah. artwork for a song is that I, I, I really love the way you know, like seeing those artworks back in the day and and to this day I, I get I, I don't really need to hear the music yeah. anymore because you kind of just seeing the artwork makes gives you this sort of pleasure yeah know? yeah and, uh, so so that's uh, there are a lot of ideas like that thrown around uh, and uh, that we have in the pipeline kind of yeah uh, and then we also of course once we started getting together again we also which was cool to see that they the other guys everything they started to switch on yeah into yeah like an entombed mode <laughs> yeah straight away started like he probably him being the way he is we could probably go in and, and record a new and tuned album tomorrow yeah because he probably has got ideas for three albums already <laughs> but, but we could I saw that he started coming up with new stuff straight away and that's that was kind of inspiring mm. also that cool we could actually just if we spent one more day here we could probably come out with two three songs and they would be done in, in our world because back then the albums that we did they were I don't know how other bands work, but you know, I've understood that most people, when they do an album, they maybe have already done a demo with vocals on, but we yeah. never really did that. So we we finished the songs actually in the studio. So when it came to vocals, so we did, uh, in a sense, what you hear on the album is the first time we heard it as well. So yeah. in in uh, in that sense, you could say that everything we've done up until like for Wolverine, we ended since there was uh, more time between, we actually ended up recording a few songs with vocals, but not all of them. But that was the first time we actually did that after you know, the first, you know, like the Nihilist demos. Yeah, were, yeah. Of course, made with, but you know, the second album. Everything and and uh, some of the songs from going on from from Wolverine and to to ride you know, like they're 
you have the song and then you put the vocals on in the studio so we could actually uh, record new yeah. stuff doing it the same like in the old way we could you could finish songs with just the three of us if we wanted to yeah yeah and, that, and that's probably what we would end up doing and it would be doing it exactly <laughs> yeah like the old days uh, actually so um, Alex, before I, I let you go, the way that I like to, to wrap things up is I like to ask my guests um, what their favourite song is, but with a bit of a twist. So, what is your favourite Entombed song that you like to play live, and why? It kind of changes, but I remember uh, one song that I never... I, I know the other guys kind of... You know, when you're out on the road for ten weeks and you play the same set. Yeah. I remember them being like, oh, I'm, "I'm bored of this song." Blah, yeah. Blah, blah. And I, I never really got bored because, and I, I think the bless my blessing in disguise was that I never really mastered them <laughs> to the point where where I got could be bored because I it was always a challenge, you know. But I, I I like like this with the devil is one of the songs that I yeah really enjoy playing and it's kind of it's kind of short, but but it kind of goes for. For all of them, when it comes to playing live, it's the songs where you actually see that the people get it yeah. are are also sort of memorable. And that's even, uh, even though a lot of the songs on Clandestine were probably a bit challenging for the crowds, but they usually came to a part where it was a we call it a slow part yeah it would be more of a groove and that came probably around you know after the you know halfway or two-thirds into the song it was this slow part and that's you, you can see that people really get into it but uh, drowned is another one that also is sort of uh, i don't know why but they yeah <laughs> got parts that kind of uh, uh, it's hard to, to say why you end up liking <laughs> yeah, play, no. playing a no, song no. is kind of maybe also different from actually listening to yeah it. of course uh, but uh, and then I remember stuff from Wolverine, for example, which was because it took me a while before I'd actually, I, where it, I would contribute and write lyrics and, and, but on that album, there was the first time where it was like songs that I'd sort of written the whole thing. Right. Uh, it was like contempt and stuff like that, which was I, when I first heard the, those songs on, on the record, I was like amazed that oh this is how it turned out like, yeah yeah these ideas I, I remember that being really sort of uh, a nice feeling um, but yeah uh, difficult to answer <laughs> but uh, <laughs> cool. I don't know like this with the devil it's an no. uh, interesting one and uh, from the clandestine album I would say uh, uh, now that I've heard everything also as orchestrations. It's like all of them. Yeah. 
uh, kind of have these melodies in them that, that kind of you didn't think of before. But uh, yeah, so in the process of Thomas sending me uh, work uh, that he had done, for example, he sent me a version of Crawl. Yeah. And he had, because he, he did it in his uh, computer, but he when he went to sort of bounce it and send me the version, he had accidentally muted everything but the first violin. So okay. he, ended, he, he thought he sent me the whole track, but he actually just sent me one uh, violin. And I was like, oh, so this is what he thinks this should be. And I was like, I enjoyed it completely just hearing his one uh, violin playing like the first violin and yeah cool uh, so and I told him yeah fine this this works you know it's it's a bit uh, sparse but and then he realized oh okay I, I didn't send you the full <laughs> thing I just sent you one instrument but uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, listening especially listening on on the live album now uh, I realized how like just the drumming for example a lot of people talk about the guitars mm. uh, sound when it comes to tune but I, I really like you get I get happy just listening to like, the drama yeah, yeah. like Sinner's Bleed for example it's like awesome that he because uh, I remember back when he was whatever 18 or something and he he, he, he was because he was never sort of the drummer that would sort of sit and play uh, like a gymnastic thing like he would he would never practice for 10 hours right yeah yeah able to play double kick drum for 10 hours or something he would he would completely burn out yeah because he would give it his all but he would only want to do like one or two takes and then he was like no I, I can't physically play this again so not, him not having played it for so long when we started rehearsing for to do the this, these shows he was of course moaning a bit that oh, this is <laughs> not gonna work you know <laughs> but you know then we give him a two days and it was uh, it, like, like he was probably playing it better than yeah, before, yeah. you know. And and of course, him saying that he can't do it is like just you just know that he's being him and just <laughs> yeah. complaining, uh, complaining a bit more. Uh, but it, you never, uh, I never worried one bit. Yeah, uh, you know, because I, I know that both him and Ufo are like machines when it comes <laughs> yeah. to doing what they do. So it's it's uh, just. It's, it was like being with the orchestra also. It's just a pleasure to be in the room and when things can sort of... It's like you choose the right people to be with and things just run seemingly of itself, you know. It's, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's really a, sort of a pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Alex, thank you very much for, for your time. Really appreciate it. Um, and really looking forward to hearing the the album in its entirety when it comes out cool 
Perfect. No worries. Perfect. Take care. Take care. Cheers. Bye. uh, Please, please send us a a link to. Is 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 this being uh, like uh, like on a a podcast? Yes. Yeah. 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 So come out uh, first week of May. So I'll I'll send Andy all the links and stuff when it goes up. Cool. Awesome. Perfect. Brilliant. Cheers, Alex. Cheers. Cheers. Take take care. care. Bye. Bye. So there we have it, folks. A massive thank you again to Alex for his time and having a chat with me. Uh, as always, if you want to keep up to date with everything that Entombed are doing, you can do so on all the various social media platforms, which will be linked in the description of this episode. Um, also, as mentioned during the chat, the live recording of Clandestine uh, will be available on uh, vinyl records. So if you are a record collector or so wish to purchase said record uh, there will also be a link to that in the description um so yeah gonna keep this outro pretty brief um i'm going to be at mr stars festival uh in berlin from well i'll be in berlin from thursday but the festival's on friday and saturday so any euro f- people that listen to this come say hi it'll be cool to hang out i really love mr stars so i'm super psyched for that festival um so yeah there we go. Thanks again for for stopping by the Justin Insight podcast for another week, and I will see you soon. Mm-hmm.